All right, everyone, this is episode number 34 of Catching Foxes, the intersection of faith and, you know, we haven't used that in like 20 episodes. Uh, <laughs> or the discussion over instruction part. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Luke, we know our mission statement. Yeah, we know our mission statement. Everyone else should, too. So we are here to discuss <laughs> the collision of faith and culture, uh, especially as that relates to Donald Trump. Our last episode that we released is actually kind of funny. Um, we recorded the last episode that we released, episode 33, like four weeks ago. And episode 32 with Matt Frad, we recorded two weeks ago. And episode 31, I accident that was supposed to be the later episode. And I totally got him switched in my head. Yeah. And uh, what is this beeping noise? Anywho. It's it's Hal. He's, he sees you. He Omar. sees me. But um, And so I accidentally released... You know, because we recorded two episodes back to back, and I released the second one first, and now the first one second. And in the beginning of the second one, it says, <laughs> "How about that confirmation retreat or something like that?" And it's like <laughs> made no sense without the last episode. So we got a lot of huge feedback from that episode. We did a lot of good feedback. So thank you, Alex. Thank you, listener Alex, one of my buddies. Alex, she's a big fan of the pod. Debbie from uh, from Minnesota writing in. That was awesome. Uh, Christian from here in the woodlands. He. He like literally called me up and said, uh, uh, "He's like Gomer, that was the best episode ever. Thank you so much." And I was like, "Oh, I need. To, I have not talked to him in a bit. I should say hello." You should. You should, especially after tonight. Christian's proposing to his girlfriend, so that's pretty sweet. Oh, catching Fox's engagement. Yeah, the, you're welcome, Christian the, and Christian's fiance. The first of many. So tonight is pretty cool. We, uh, I've invited a friend of mine, Brian Jones. He is uh, currently a doctoral student at um, preparing his dissertation at University of St. Thomas here in Houston. Houston's oh, wow. best-kept Catholic secret. Um, <laughs> that's literally how they build it to undergrad. Where's Houston's best-kept Catholic secret? Do you feel like that's true, Brian? Well, I, I thought that you were referring to me. Houston. No, no, I was, yeah. 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 <laughs> but then, Brian, I've actually known about you for a long time, so you're not a secret to me. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, that, I can see that. I know Gomer likes to talk about me a lot. <laughs> uh, I do. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself to the kiddos? What we try to do is we jump into the conversation, and then the sure. other person feels like a uh, fish out of water, and then we back it up. <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Let's see. I've been down here in Houston uh, since 2011, August 2011. Uh, Riveting. Yes, my <laughs> we do tell. My wife and I had our first child, our oldest daughter, Therese. Uh, she was born on August 11th, 2011, and then we thought it would be a great adventure to move eight days after the birth. So we were Ooh. like, you know, let's let's do that. So we did, and then we added on top of that, we thought, you know what, it'd be good to enroll in a program um, and, and go to a university that you actually have not seen yet or step foot on. So we make sense. Yeah. So, you know, my mother-in-law pretty much drove me down uh, to the university for the first week. So I kind of felt like I was back in elementary school. Um, you know, <laughs> it's even mom, better when it's your mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, I'm holding my lunch and you know, we're, uh, I was just, Thank you for the, the ride, but you didn't have to pick, pack me a brown bag lunch. <laughs> I do appreciate the note on the napkin, yeah. though. That was a nice touch. Yeah. No, I had a Rambo lunch, uh, you know, lunch pail, and so it, it all. No, I didn't. Um, but uh, so we were down here, 2011, and um, started the PhD program. 
And um, prior to that, I was actually a middle school uh, teacher uh, at seventh grade for an inner city school in Cleveland, Ohio. And nice. um, I know Luke was expressed his sorrow that I was when I told him I was from Cleveland, that he was sad about that. As, as again, most people are when I tell them I'm from Cleveland, they usually apologize um, at some point. And so then after that, let's see, so came down here, um, I've been doing the um, doctoral work probably since uh, working on the dissertation for the last half year or so. And at the same time, I also, this is my first year, I just started teaching at Frasati Catholic High School, the only uh, Catholic high school north, north of Houston. Uh, so yep. I've been doing that. In since. the whole country. In the yeah, whole, right, exactly. From that, from that <laughs> yes, 28th exactly. parallel. Yeah. Uh, hashtag Texas. <laughs> so uh, I've been doing that for, this is my first year there. And um, yeah, I mean, similar. what's your What's your uh, degree going to be in? Like when you're all said and done, what's it going to so be? So it'll be a PhD in philosophy, but my focus for the dissertation will be specifically, it'll be on political philosophy and on the great Jesuit uh, philosopher, political philosopher James V. Shaw, who taught at Georgetown for. 42 years and uh, retired back in 2013. And um, so he's just written an encyclopedic amount of work and books and articles. And and so I figured, you know what? I've read a lot of his stuff and I love his stuff and I think his thought uh, needs to be disseminated. So I proposed this to my director to do a dissertation and he said, let's do it. So so anyway, you know my, my, my specialization, I don't like using that word, but my, my area of focus will be political philosophy. I think uh, it would be awesome if you were like, so I'm studying the great Jesuit political philosopher Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be humorous, among other things. <laughs> you know what's so funny about Donald Trump? Can I, this is the funniest thing. Brian, I don't know if you heard, but mm. today, you know Donald Trump's like number one enemy is Jeb Bush? I didn't know that. Yeah, his number one enemy is Jeb, but he hates Jeb Bush. Okay, and, I'm really not a fan of Jebby. And so, uh, <laughs> so the funny thing was JebBush.com, they forgot to re-register it. And so Donald Trump bought it oh, today. Gosh. And so today JebBush.com redirects to like Trump for president. <laughs> Pretty great. He's smart. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, would, what, would, what would Father Shaw say about Donald Trump today? Well, I think, you know, I don't know enough about Trump, unfortunately. You guys, it sounds like you guys know uh, way more. About oh, tons. Him. Oh, my tons. God. We are, tons of we're, stuff. We're, we're you yeah, you guys are the master. I mean, I'm really the grasshopper. <laughs> a lot of truth there. Um, if I had a dollar for every time someone called me a master at something, <laughs> I would just have this one dollar tonight. Yeah. I'd have half a dollar. It's very That's odd. Right. Go on. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, maybe in some real sense, um, you know, he would, uh, I mean, at the heart of Father Shaw's writing and his work, um, and really his whole intellectual career is, the integration of or the relationship between reason, revelation, and, and politics, and that while politics is is good, it's natural f- for human beings, you know, to live in society. And uh, I think I think Shaw would say, uh, going back to Augustine and, and Saint Thomas, that ultimately politics, while good, is is limited. And um, <clears throat> so I think maybe. Maybe something good for uh, good old Donnie to hear. Uh, how is politics, how is it limited? It's limited because, again, Father Shaw likes to mention this all the time, coming from Aristotle, that p- 
politics is is a science in the Aristotelian sense, but it's it's limited because it's not the highest science. Metaphysics or theology would be the highest science um, because man is is not the highest being, right? So there's there's some metaphysical entity that is greater than the human being, the human person, and so politics in in that light then would be. Uh, would would have to be a a lower science, um, a practical science, and thus not a theoretical science like metaphysics or something we'd say like theology. So one of the things I wanted to bring you on and talk about was, you know, so many Catholics hear the name St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is obviously one of the major, I don't know, foundations of of all of Catholic thought, Western Catholic thought. Yeah. Um, How... I don't know. Like, I love St. Thomas Aquinas. He is, I, I love him to death. How, how can we help ordinary Catholics think mm-hmm. with the mind of St. Thomas Aquinas? Like, or, or what, what, I don't know. Let's back it up. Why is yep. Thomism, you know, uh, why, why should every Catholic be a peeping Thomist? Uh, you, it's funny that you said, now maybe you, you saw the, the book that I gave you, Ralph McInerney's, uh, that's the title of Ralph McInerney's book, right? I, I did I, see it because you gave me the book. So yes, first glance. Close at, my <laughs> yes, yeah, and it's sitting actually right here next to me. I was reading it while you were trying to fix all of the uh, technical issues. Scum um, bullshit, as it's yes, known. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I think ultimately, at the heart of Thomism and the thought of Saint Thomas Aquinas or the philosophy of Saint Thomas Aquinas is that um, truth is one, right? The the source of truth is is ultimately in God. And so whatever we discover um, through knowledge, right, about the world, you know, through any particular science, you, you name it biology or any of the life sciences or what have you, anything that we know as true um, does not contradict what we believe as true because, again, the source is the same, being God. So, there is no contradiction between what we believe via faith and also what we know about the natural world or the cosmos. And so this integration of faith and philosophy is really at the heart of, of our faith. And this is precisely what uh, – this was one of the primary points of Pope Benedict XVI's Regensburg address in on September 12, 2006 was that the – really the – I don't want to say maybe the loss of Thomism, but more generally just this separation between philosophy and biblical faith, particularly Greek philosophy and and biblical faith and the breakdown beginning at uh, the Reformation and kind of ending now, still going on in in our modern multiculturalism, right? That every culture has their own truth and we, we, we can't say which truths are true and um, so we have no way of sort of assessing a cultural, a culture's perspectives or their, you know, their moral views or their even their philosophical worldview. So anyway, Thomism fundamentally is about this integration uh, between the sciences and biblical faith as not in contradiction to each other, but as complementary to one another. Let me let me let me stop you there. Okay, so the number one thing pulling high school teenagers out of the church today mm-hmm. that I see is number one a weak theology. Like 
you know, we're giving kids essentially one step above coloring books for their <laughs> sure. theology education. Mm-hmm. And then number two, um, I mean, like literally when I was in, I remember being in eighth grade at my Catholic school and they had a textbook when I was in seventh grade, the eighth graders had a textbook that was 400 pages long and it was church history. Nice. When I got in, they told us that they switched to a new curriculum and it was about 90 pages and it was a, like a coloring book, like one of those big floppy workbooks. Oh, yeah. And I remember looking at my teacher going, what happened? And she said, mm-hmm. well, we switched to this new curriculum. And I'm like, but this was the one class that we actually were going to learn something. And then all my friends hit me and said, shut up, dude. It's easier. And we all knew it was a joke. Like we right. all knew. And we were in eighth grade. And we were oh, like, yeah. yeah, come on. Um, I remember Eric, my buddy Eric was just like, dude, come on. This is, this is just going to be the easiest thing. Let's not worry about it. So you have a, like easy as pie theology. But then you sure. combine it with science. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that people are just the, – the new atheists today, they're hammering Christians by saying – like, they, I mean, one of the things – I was just listening to one of, two of my favorite podcasters and they were kind of relating how this one guy is their favorite new – he's the least jerky of the new atheists. Mm-hmm. And they both love him. And yeah. you know, he said he gave his mother, who's a Catholic, a book uh, when he was a teenager about why he no longer believes all the superstitious stuff. Yeah. And I find like people don't understand the relationship between faith and reason, religion and science. They mm-hmm. just find them opposed because like Galileo incident and like all this stuff. Yeah. What would atonement like? I mean, because obviously St. Thomas Aquinas didn't believe in evolution. Do right. you how – do, how do you square evolution specifically with an, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas' philosophy in the 1200s? Like clearly yeah. science should replace certain things like – how we really learn. I mean, you know what I mean? Okay, so yeah. let, me, let me put it this way. Sure. The stuff that we learn about neuroscience alone reveals so much about the matter, of the physicality of our intellect. You know, like yeah. if you were yeah. to shoot, a, a stimulate a certain region of your brain, all of a sudden you're feeling an emotion in this way versus mm-hmm. that way, you know, or something yeah. like that. Whereas when you read a lot of Aquinas and Aristotle, there's so much reference to the soul Right. You know, how do you kind of balance that? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd probably start just kind of backtrack a little bit from where you started this relationship between faith and science. Um, I, I think that uh, there, there's a professor up at Gonzaga University named Michael Tkach, who's, who's done a lot of really good stuff on this. But he basically draws out this this kind of this false dichotomy between faith and science, right, that faith is about ethics, or rather faith, faith gets reduced to ethics, and then science is about reality, right? So science is about discovering what's out there, okay? And, and then what religion does is religion just helps us to ethically deal with the reality that science discovers. And this is, primarily this is fostered by the Harvard biologist Stephen Jay Gould. And Gould kind of has a Protestant perspective. I mean, I don't think he's trying to push that, that, uh, that model in a, in a way that separates uh, faith and science as strictly opposed, but I think he wants to be able to have his cake and eat it too. He wants faith and science to be able to be held together so long as this view of faith as about ethics and science as about solely about reality. As long as that view is held, you can kind of keep the tension and it works. But no, he I think is fundam- a funny atheist. He, he, he is. He, <laughs> he is. really is. Like he, you can pull his statements and 
use them against atheists. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, and, and so, I mean, I think, you know, fundamentally... Luke, Luke, you'll keep us on track with our audience. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Luke will help. Well, but, and I think, you know, just at a, I mean, not to go in too much detail, but I mean, you know, the primary doctrines of our, the core of our faith are the Trinity and the Incarnation. And, and those aren't about ethics per se, right? Those are factual claims, right? We say that God is a trinity of persons, that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that the word, the second person of the trinity took on a real human nature in the person of Jesus Christ. So those are not ethical statements. Those are factual claims, right? And we can say they're either true or they're false, right? So in that sense, we're we're already at least calling to mind and highlighting that faith is fundamentally about reality. And St. Paul says this too, right? When he says, look, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, if he hasn't actually risen, then I'm still in my sin and we're not saved, right? So that, I mean, and I think that, again, to just really zone in on that that factual claim about that's related to our faith, that faith is not just about ethics. That's part of it, but it's also about truth. It's fundamentally about truth. That's why we, and, and this kind of answers, I think, hopefully the other part of your question, you know, St. Thomas is going to say, you know, the reason why we believe anything at all is because it's true. So there's a connection there between knowledge and the faith is that they both are ordered towards or primarily concerned with what's true. Um, <clears throat> and and so, you know, St. Thomas has the, just this, you know, the division of the sciences and how all the sciences relate to the faith. And, and remember, too, that St. Thomas historically was taught by perhaps the greatest scientist of the Middle Ages in, in St. Albert the Great, who really uh, was the first to uh, start the zoological program uh, that he developed in Germany that the, um, you know, that the future Dominicans had to study. So, I mean, he, rec- he, I mean, he just poured into all of Aristotle's scientific works. And, and I mean, so, you know, St. Thomas learned from, you know, at the feet of the master, uh, really. So um, I think for, for St. Thomas, the, this whole dichotomy between faith and science is, is really a false one. And also, I, I do want to say, since you brought up uh, one of the, the, your friends or someone you heard that gives their mother a book by the, one of the new atheists, I think another thing that Thomism brings that is, I think, kind of lost in modernity is we're looking for truth wherever it can be found, whatever its source. So even if we are looking at something or discovering or reading something that's false, we should at least try to find the truth in even in that falsehood, right? So even if we're studying Islam or we're studying some other religion or some philosophy that's contrary to the faith, we can at least, hopefully, I think, the methodology of St. Thomas is to be able to find not just error, but also what's true here. What can we take out here that is compatible with the faith and compatible with good philosophy and good science? Well, yeah. And let if me, I could add a, re- yeah, oh, go, Luke, yeah. Go. yeah, my turn. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm Luke. Uh, if I could just add like a really quick thought on this, that, yeah. so I'm a huge Coen brothers fan, mm-hmm. like huge. I think they are the best of the best right now. If not, if not, they're the best ever. And yeah. one of the things that I like about them is I think they ask the right questions yeah. in their movies. I don't always agree with their answers, but I think they're asking really a profound things yeah. that 
nobody else is, and that's why I think a lot of Catholics who care about good art should yeah. watch their movies because it's worth pondering those. And like you, like, yeah. I almost agree with like ninety eight percent of what they are trying to say. Yeah, well, it's I, really interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, a good philosophical theological approach to film and art. I mean, even um, you know, like Wes Anderson's films, right? They, um, I've seen a, a few of them, but I'm not saying it's the only theme, but a central theme in all of his films is fatherhood. And so, I mean, I think as Catholics, we should be able to zone in on that. And, uh, and obviously the kind of the disorder of all these families, you know, you think of the Royal Tannenbaums and um, I mean, they all center around some, either the absence right. or the loss of, of fatherhood. And so, you know, again, good psychology, good family psychology, psychiatry, right? They can point to um, truth that we we believe and hold about fatherhood that we have received from our faith. So again, you, you know, and and but you're you're also right too. I mean, what art, um, literature, what they can teach us about ourselves and about um, you know the purpose of our life and why we're here. I mean, we should be unpacking that. We should be diving into that. You know, I mean, the yeah. Cohen brothers are kind of like you know they're they're the Ohio State. I think. <laughs> yeah, the film. Best, you knew, I mean, I was gonna. I had to drop that for the no. Ohio. Thank you. State. The Ohio. Yeah, if, the Ohio you State. Yeah, that, Franciscan that University. Of yeah, we yeah. should. Franciscan <laughs> no, no. should. They should do that. They should make it the Franciscan. No, it is. It technically oh, is it? it is. No one knows this except for those of us who worked the call center uh, and called people who were prospective students. That's what I did for money, and we would have to say. Uh, they applied at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. It's very, it's very awkward. I'm ashamed um, that I don't know that. I should, yeah, I I'm should. kind of ashamed of you. Um, yeah, I know. I'm a terrible <laughs> alum. Well, it's been great having you on. Right. Yeah, it's been great having That's, you on. Anywho, the so, end. Yeah, so Luke, wasn't enough. Franciscan's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I drank so much while I was there. <laughs> you did. You did. I really did. <laughs> there was one time when I – one of the things that I realized was me and our buddy who shall go nameless. Uh, let's say that his name is Bon Araldi. Uh, we put a case away. <laughs> me and him were like, ah, I'm feeling fine. You? Yeah, I'm good. All right, let's go out. Yeah, let's go. Let's go driving. <laughs> a case. It was probably Natty Ice. So, I mean, it was – Oh uh, yeah, that or Beast. It was that, Beast. Or yes. Miller High Life. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, guys, I've got some Miller High Life here. <laughs> we were really into Miller High We went through a strong Miller High Life phase. It is we the champagne a, of beers. I mean, what do you We had do? a fridge right by our door that was just filled with beer. And I thought it was completely normal. Oh well. No. I mean it was it, for call. It is. Yeah. Anyways, back <laughs> to philosophy and science. Yeah. So no, so I have I have uh, a couple things that I wanna yeah. uh Okay. So there's a great line that JP2 loved, which was all that which is authentically human finds its place in the church, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the incarnation of Christ, like the, you know, yeah. so take this, apply it to Thomas Merton. You know, you can always discover uh, if, if, if conservatives or liberals knew Thomas Merton, mm -hmm. you knew if they were conservative, if they like old Merton and if they were liberal, if they like right. later Merton, <laughs> later, <laughs> you know, yeah, like new right. Merton. Yeah. Um, because he spent a lot of time in the East. Yes. And especially diving into Buddhist monasticism and all that stuff. So what would you – what should a Catholic's attitude be about – you know, okay, so Colonel Ratzinger talks about in um, Introduction to Christianity. He said that the Christians, when they spread throughout in the early church, in the apostolic times and, and early church times, 
He said he went to the philosophies. They went to the philosophers of their day, not to the religions of their day. Right. That they specifically engaged the philosophers. And a common portrait of Christ that we find in the catacombs is is Christ the philosopher. Yeah. And so, like, he's the highest ideal in philosophy. And so the this notion of, like, Christ going out or, like, Christians going out and engaging philosophy because it's – this is a truth claim, right? And philosophy yeah. is claiming truth as well, reason, right. you know. But mm-hmm. then you have Buddhism. And Buddhism is fascinating to me mm-hmm. because we are you – know, you know, I think it was Henri de Lubac who said Buddhism is the great – one of the greatest human achievements – Mm-hmm. Like the invention of Buddhism and all that stuff, you know, it just yeah. long, but it's just, it's not a religion. It's a religion without God even in, right, in many right. instances. And so uh, like, I think of like Buddhist meditation practice, yeah. um, mindfulness that Mindful, I think yeah. that is really in vogue in like psychology and counseling, especially yeah. dealing with like anxiety disorders and stuff like that. Yeah. What yeah. would you think about a Catholic kind of approaching that? Like, sure. what can I, what can I pick from Buddhism um, or you know some Asian you know some some other religion that has a a rational founding. I mean, what what would be a, a Thomistic approach to stuff like that? I would say for for one thing, let me just address the the psychology part that you mentioned with the mindfulness. Right, um, actually, there's a professor at Loyola Marymount in L.A., Chris Kayser, um, and he's a Thomist, and he he just put out a new book called The Gospel of Happiness. And basically, the the central theme of the book is that um, positive psychology, which was developed and you know started by Martin Seligman in the early '80s from University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Um, basically, a quick synopsis: positive psychology. Martin Seligman thought that too much of psychology was focused on the negative, right? That it was too focused on depression. It was too focused on negative emotions and negative moods. And, and it w- there was no room or, or no real space for virtue. And, and even an Aristotelian uh, understanding of virtue and how virtue can actually help to restore and, and even heal mental and emotional disorders. And so uh, what Kayser does in this new book is he basically shows that Modern psychology, particularly through the positive psychology, you know, discoveries and scientific data, um, point to the truths that we believe and hold as Catholics, right? So, for example, the studies that show that the people that are typically or generally the happiest are those that not just claim to be religious, but actually practice or live out their faith in on an everyday on an everyday level, right? Or that those that practice mercy and forgiveness, those that do an examination of conscience, right? Where they're not just examining their, their behavior and their actions on a regular basis, but also expressing gratitude to God, right? So, I mean, each chapter is, is divided up by these different themes, but it, it, he's showing that in a very Thomistic way that, look, this is the kind of thing that Thomism, um, sort of a Thomistic approach, can help us to see that we've kind of lost, I think, in modernity, which is that this science, this this human science of psychology, sociology, psychiatry, these are good when they tell us things that are true about ourselves, right? About the human person, about the world we live in, and even anything that can point to the direction of God. Um, and so, 
again, I, I mean, if something is true and it is good and it's right and it's noble, then that would be in accord with the faith. And we would want to know that. We'd want to know that source. And so I think that point kind of carries over into Buddhism. I mean, I don't know very much, and maybe you do, um, Gomer or, or Luke, specific things about about Buddhism. But um, I would say that if there is anything um, that's true in Buddhism, then it would also be something that would be affirmed by our faith. Um, now, specifically, I don't know what that would be. Maybe um, you know, that, um, it's good to promote, you know, peace, or I don't know if they have any notion of not the full account of grace and, and forgiveness and mercy, but I don't know if they have some kind of account of forgiving your enemies or forgiving people that are, um, that have done wrong against you. Um, if that's there, you know, obviously we would want to affirm that. Um, I would say though, and this goes back to the earlier question about the relation of faith and reason that we were talking about earlier. I mean, Christianity is, um, if Christ is not real, if Christ didn't exist, our faith crumbles. Uh, Buddhism, on the other hand, I mean, if Buddha, the, the, the person, if he didn't exist, if it was, I don't know, if it was discovered that, you know, this, this guy never actually existed, that wouldn't change, I don't think, the, dy- the dynamics of Buddhism as a spirituality, as a kind of a way of life. Um, so again, I mean, you, you kind of see this historicity and this base ground for Christianity, which again, also, I think Gomer connects to your question about Ratzinger, right? St. Paul, where does he go? He goes to Macedonia. He goes West. He doesn't go to the East. And, and in introduction to Christianity, he says, because the Eastern religions did not think that, uh, they, or they believed that reality was an illusion, um, so you, you kind of have yeah. a connection to modern philosophy there, right? We don't know if what is outside of the mind is really there. We don't know. If well, it's even, real. even more than that, it is scientists right. today with like quantum mechanics and all that yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. They're being like, yeah. Buddhism is the way, mm-hmm. you know, because they believe all of the illusion of the self and yeah, that's right. really huge in uh, a lot of like the new atheists and yeah. neuroscience areas. Like there is no such thing as the self. Yeah. It's right. Right. Like, like Sam Harris, the neo-atheist, reducing the, the person. That's exactly who I'm talking about. Well yeah. Played. yeah, the the person is reduced to the brain because they're primarily materialists. So anything yeah. that's not material, like the soul, um, uh, would have to be you know rejected. So we're going to have to look for some central, some other central place that would be the sort of the defining essence, if you will, of what it means to be a person. And so for a materialist, that's going to have to be the brain. The brain is the center of uh, choice, of intellect, of reason. But most of them would also deny that free will exists because free will and rationality, these are immmaterial realities, but they reject that. So, you know, now you're with fascinating choice. Yeah. The fascinating thing, behavioral psychology, B.F. Skinner, right? Oh, yeah. He was a Calvinist. (laughs) What was he? I didn't yeah. know that. I, and, wow. Yeah, he was raised a strict Calvinist, huh. so he never believed in free will. Oh well, okay, there you go. As, as a religious, oh, wow. as a religious yeah. tenant. So then, when he entered into, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was an atheist, but yeah, the behavioral psychology that he, that he is the father of, he yeah. was like, no, there is there is no free will. But that was kind of like inculcated in him from a strict, a super strict Calvinism. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah, the more what you do you think? Know, 
Uh, love NBC commercials. <laughs> Luke's my wingman. Thanks, yep. uh, guy who plays Carlton for the advice. One of the things that, <laughs> I was going to say, thanks, David is. Schwimmer, for teaching me not to <laughs> be a racist. I'm in here doing the Carlton dance right now. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, John Larroquette. <laughs> thanks, guy from Wings. Wait, wait, wait. Which guy from Wings? The uptight older brother or the younger brother that was cool and had long hair? No, Tony. Uh, thanks, Danny Tanner. All right, so. Um, <laughs> Well, like I, I think it's interesting. That was clearly ABC. How no, that was Alf. Alf was on NBC. Danny right? Tanner Alf? is Full House. Danny Tanner's Full oh, House. Oh shit! No, no. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Danny. Oh gosh, what is Alf's thing's name? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, and I don't care. But Luke, clearly, I just, I just came up with some, with some gold. Speaking of Thomism, we should do <laughs> a, a a live viewing of the new Netflix original series Fuller House. Oh yeah. <laughs> And we, should. <laughs> we should. My sister would be so mad about that that we would take away her full her fuller house glory. Go on. I mean, mm. that's gotta so, be. <laughs> what I, what I did have an actual point. Go for it. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting with because when you, I mean, okay, I'll be honest. I skipped out on the majority of my uh, philosophy classes. I did get a good grade in my <laughs> uh, metaphysics class. So oh, yeah. just wait, did throwing have, it out wait, there. Did you have healing? I had Colosi. Oh, PJ Colosi. Oh, he's the yeah. I like. I the, love he will always like. He clo- wait. Uh, did you go to a Franciscan? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Did I know you? No, you did. Uh, no, I don't think so. I was there oh five to oh nine. Uh, yeah. He was in grad school with me when me when me and you lived together. Oh, that's right. When I had my uh, ecumenism class yeah. in grad school, me and oh, him had enough. a class together. Yeah. Okay. More importantly, did you know who I was? Negative. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, that's my, negative, Luke. He my wife negative. is going to love to hear that fact because I always ask um, yeah. people from Stupid Dad. And they go, yeah. I go, see, honey, see. <laughs> I Anyways, make uh, it up and say that I knew you. <laughs> hey, Brian, that's Brian, fine. real quick. Do you need another beer? Uh, por favor. Because I am literally five beers in because this conversation is making me nervous. <laughs> what? Oh, gosh. We, I better have another one then. Okay. I'll bring it. Luke, ask your question. All right. Um. Well, this is more of an observation, and yeah. I would love to have your thought of it. One of the things that I that um, me and a lot of people that I, that I work with in ministry that we have been contemplating is the idea of that Christianity isn't ultimately about a why or a what, but a who. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about Thomism and the idea of God and science and religion, like almost being like one thing, yeah. Is that I think what a lot of atheists stumble over is they don't accept the who, which to one extent is under is under is understandable, and to me that emphasizes the need for an encounter with Christ. Yeah, that it's only it's only because of that experience that this can all because like sure. you're hot or you're cold, you know. Right. And I think the people who have kind of had it, they're the ones, which I think is a problem with our, with like a lot of the Catholicism right now is that it's lukewarm. Yes. It's not either hot or cold. It just kind of is. Right. And once you, and you really can't, I don't know if it's possible to truly reconcile both God and like, and science unless you have encountered God. Mm-hmm. Specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, and if you remember, I, I think it's a great question because I think it points to um, Catholicism being, you may have heard this, the kind of, it's it's an, an et et or it's a both and um, mm-hmm. rather than yep. an either or. So um, I think that, you know, if you, 
look at the you know Saint Augustine's Confessions, right? What's in in Book Three? He says, "What's what's the thing that what turns him towards the way, towards the truth of encountering Christ?" And he says it was when he picks up and he read Cicero, Cicero's Hortensius, right? So Augustine sees that this encounter with Christ, who is the truth, the way, and the life, that you know discovering something like philosophy, it's an aid to, and a, um, in a real way, it, it can be a, a catalyst or a bridge towards seeking the fullness of truth, which if you're genuine about it, I think you'll ultimately end up where St. Augustine does, right? And you get to the Catholic Church, but you, but the, you also see the limits of philosophy, and both Augustine and Aquinas and the Church are very clear that philosophy is necessary, Philosophy is fundamental, but it is also limited because it only takes you to a certain point, right? And this is, this is precisely where Augustine is at the end of, of book seven of the Confessions, right? He knows, he, he knows that the church is the true church of Christ, but he hasn't had an encounter with Jesus, the, the person of Jesus Christ, because he had, and he hasn't been transformed interiorly, right? He's still lusting. He still has his will is divided, right? And he's still kind of trapped. But it's when he encounters Christ in reading the word of God, right? In reading scriptures, particularly Romans, that he is, he is taken to a place beyond what philosophy and human reason is capable of doing. So it's, again, I think hopefully the answer to your question is, you, you know, the both and. Now, I would say that, um, I think this goes back to um, an observation that that even uh, Jean-Paul Sartre made at the end of his life in his biography, where his autobiography, where he says, you know, in the end, there really aren't any good arguments against the existence of God. You were talking about the the new atheists. And he said, but, um, you know, Sartre was rejected by his parents. He was abandoned by them when he was a child. And so the notion of God as a father to him was utterly repulsive. Mm. And so he, mm-hmm. you know, I think basically what he was admitting was that, look, there are no good claims against the existence of God from reason and science, but I don't really give a damn because it's the yeah. moral, it's the interior side. I don't want God to exist. I don't want God to be the way that Christianity says he is, a loving father that is pursuing me, that's coming after me to just envelop me in his love and his mercy and goodness. Um, so you see, I think here, this, uh, why do people, you know, reject the evidence? Well, it's not because the evidence isn't there or that you can't follow the dots, but it's a moral, spiritual reason. You know, they don't want to follow the dots. They know where the dots lead and they know that that could bring them into an encounter with their, the, you know, the very person that they're meant to spend eternal life with. So, you know, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But so anyway, I think your question is great because I think it, it helps us to see the whole picture that we need that all-encompassing view. We can't – and again, this goes back to Benedict's address in Regensburg in 2006. We need both faith and reason because it is through that ultimately that we can, we can have a real encounter with the word, with the logos, with the person of Jesus Christ himself. Um, so I don't know. I hope that – that long-winded tangent, oh, great. Yeah, tangent yeah. helps. Uh, go back to that um, that uh, um, 
address that you were talking about by Pope Benedict yeah. in 2006. Like, why is that so important? Like, why? Like, you've, yeah. I think you've mentioned it a couple times. Yeah. Like, why is, why? Yeah. Well, he, uh, first of all, uh, where he gives the address um, in Regensburg was actually um, the first place that Joseph Ratzinger, um, as a young priest, where he taught at the, at the University of Regensburg. So, and it was, um, you know, it was not a, a um, sort of a, you know, dogmatic or, you know, infallible address or anything of that sort. It was just kind of a personal reflection about what is the nature of the university and what is the nature of faith. And so he, he basically just uh, lays out this relationship between faith and reason as it's understood in Christianity. And he, and he sort of contrasts that with um, a disordered understanding of faith and reason that started to take place kind of at the end of the Middle Ages prior to the the onset of modernity and and also how that view of faith and reason has played out within the history of Islam and then after that, he basically says that there are what he calls the three stages of dehellenization, and that is the the three stages of the separation between Greek philosophical inquiry. And, and thought from biblical revelation. And so he says the first is um, at the Reformation, right, that uh, the sola fide, that there was uh, all we needed was faith alone, scripture alone. And then you move into 19th century liberal Protestantism, which basically reduces Jesus to just a good man, right? Um, and, and all mm-hmm. the claims about his divinity, all claims of miracles, right, are seen as um, external to to what the faith is primarily about. That, yeah. that really, so really, you almost get a prelude to this science approach that I mentioned in the beginning. That faith is just about ethics, and he throws and he talks about Immanuel Kant in there as well. And um, and then finally, he talks about kind of the twenty first, the twentieth and twenty first century multiculturalism, where um, you know there is no objective truth. Um, and, and really we're all kind of isolated in our own individual subjective boxes and worldviews. And, and so ultimately you lose community, you use interpersonal relationship when you lose that, when you lose the objectivity of truth. So it's, it's the, the speech is so important. The address is so important because it brings us back to, I think the, the fundamental harmony and and the, the vision of Catholicism as an integration of faith and reason, but that Christ himself is the Logos, right? He is word, he is reason, he is communication itself. And so, again, he's also trying to highlight very clearly, I think, that whatever we discover in the sciences, while they're good and they're necessary, um, they also don't provide the kind of knowledge that is needed and is only given by faith illuminated with, with grace. Um, and so even that we can't see these issues of philosophy and ethics and science, we don't see them in their full light without the illumination of faith. So we can discover true things, but ultimately we need faith to purify the mind, the heart, and the emotions. And, and you're right. I mean, that ultimately is only going to come through an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, that's... That's so deep. <laughs> it's really, it's really, really cool. It, it, 
One of the things that I struggle with right now is when I hear a lot of people talk about like faith being old fashioned mm-hmm. or not relevant. And yeah. it, it really makes me want to pull my hair out because I'm like, don't you understand? Like these like thoughts you're having aren't new or yeah, right. original. They're the results of hundreds of years of stuff that you couldn't even understand if they started to talk oh, about it. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it almost, and this is one of the things that I really liked about the Coen Brothers film is that mm. it, is I uh, sorry, I just saw Hail Caesar over the weekend. Oh, how what was it good? Oh, if you like Barton Fink or any other like weird stuff, yep. you'll love it. A serious man. It's basically they're they're starting to tackle the New Testament, so it's great. Oh, that's awesome. Um and it's it I'll try to not spoil it good. Please don't. for you. Good. Okay. So that I won't mention that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I think it really tackles the idea of what does it mean to do the right thing and like mm-hmm. their big thing is like what is a man what is a good man like mm-hmm. what is a man and it's i think it's it is epitomized in in in, in the in this one scene of inside Lewin davis where the cat is a reflection of him mm-hmm. and you know he brings home the wrong cat to his professor and she holds up the cat and goes well where's where's the scrotum where's his scrotum because it's <laughs> a feline cat and um and it's saying like, "Where's your balls? Like, where yeah. you know, like well, you aren't a man." And um, mm-hmm. and th- this film, Hail to Caesar, takes kind of from that standpoint of you, what if you have a guy who's good, like he's trying to be a good man. Yeah. How does he know when to do the right thing, and what does that look like? Yeah. And I think that's a question. And and when I like hear people talk about like like God being pointless or old or like. Old or um, old fashioned, I was I was kind of thinking, you know, we're having the wrong conversation. What yeah. we need to be talking about is: is there truth? Is there yeah. actual a goodness? Is there right or wrong? You know, yeah. it's just like with. Um, sorry, I can go on on about no, no. that. Keep going. So, well, just like the the idea of abortion, it's that the real conversation that we all should be having about is: when does life start, or like, is life meaningful? Yeah. Is life important? And it, okay, if so, where does life actually uh, begin? Because that will determine if abortion is right or wrong. Yeah, and then you go from there. But like, no one wants to have that in conversation. Yeah. they don't want to talk about who who will take care of the uh, who will take care of, of you know of the baby after the fact, which is right. all like valid things. But that's sure. not the argument that we're having. Yeah, right. Anyways, well, and you know, one of my favorite. I love that you talk about film because one of my favorite movies of all time is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Oh, right. So good. So and, good. And so, oh, I, I love that movie. I love, love Andy Murray. McDowell. She yeah, single-handedly carried that movie. Um, um, I love uh, Harold Ramis, um, <clears throat> you know, who also did Caddyshack, was Egon and Ghostbusters. I mean, mm-hmm. don't get me down, started down this path. But, um, you know. Egon. Right. Exactly. I love that scene. But he, you know, the whole point of the film is a a question about what is happiness and what does it mean to be virtuous, right? And you see uh, Phil Connors go through these different transformations, right? I mean, where he he's going through the same day over and over again. There's that great scene when he's in the bowling alley with those two drunks, mm-hmm. and he's talking about, you know, he's like, you know, I I went I was in the Cayman Islands once and <laughs> I met a woman and you know, we fell in love. We you know, we had 
drinks on the beach all night, you know, and the, we ended up making love on the beach. He goes, that was a pretty good yeah, date. Why can't I have that date over <laughs> and over again? Right. But that triggers him then to almost, he, he, you know, he kind of goes into this sort of godlike perspective, right? That he realizes he is going to repeat the same thing over and over again. He can't die. And then ultimately that leads him to despair because he understands that he's not God. And there's something radically missing and empty in his life. And it's only when he starts living for others, right? And so, you know, it, it, the, I think one of the most moving sequences in the whole film is when he keeps trying to help the homeless guy, oh, knowing yeah. that every time he's going to die. But he wants that man to feel like he's loved, right? And then at the end, you know, it's just a radical transformation, right? What ultimately gets him to break out of the cycle of the repeated day is – he finds what it means to be happy. He finds what virtue is, right? And so that breaks him out of the cycle. Um, now, you know, so, I mean, film, and, and this is why I think Vatican II, and Gomer, you're going to like this because I'm going to mention Survey Pinkares, right? Oh, but the, so nice. But this is why Vatican II called for a restoration of moral <laughs> theology as being rooted in beatitude, as being rooted in happiness, right? Because... This is what Aquinas finds in Aristotle, the bridge between faith and reason. Here's Aristotle saying that the, the one thing that all human beings cannot not desire is happiness. Now, every human being, you ask, I mean, I used to tutor students at the University of St. Thomas Aquinas, and I'd say, what's the one thing you cannot not desire? And they'd be like, um, you know, and they would just sit there like, uh, I don't know, like sex? I'm like, okay. okay, you're close, but like. <laughs> you know, but eventually they would come to, I would say, happiness. You do everything that you do, um, the career you choose, right, uh, your vocation, you do that for some final goal, which we call happiness. Now, the content of what that is, obviously, we have various opinions about, but we have a starting point here that we can all agree with and all communicate about. And it's, call it what you will, happiness, fulfillment, completion, satisfaction, right? Nirvana. Yeah, nirvana. We can start there. And unpack that, right? And I think that that – now, as a, as a sort of a stepping stone for evangelization, I mean, I think the, the council, Vatican II, that is, saw that as, as really a, a fundamental part of the new evangelization is um, sanctity as the most authentic completion and expression of what it means to be happy, of what it means to be a human person, Um. So yeah, anyway, I mean, I think you, I think you're exactly right. We need to, we we have to focus, I think, on that more so than we do because that that's been lost. And I, I mean, it's being recovered in a real way, but I don't think to the extent that uh, the church is is calling for or has called for, I should say. Can you do me a favor and say the phrase "new evangelization" again? New evangelization again, man. <laughs> oh, you threw in again. You're so cute. Thank you. Uh, you just say that is such a, a deliberate way. Evangelization. Yep. Mm-hmm. I actually no. may or may not work in a place where the office that I may or may not partake in. Um, I'm not believing any labor of activity. Said whatever uh, <laughs> is a part of or does stuff that directly involves new evangelization. <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna start calling it that now. When the place where it may or may not do some of of my labor to fulfill my vocation and bring about my own holiness while providing for the needs of my family. (laughs) That's the short way to put it. Because usually there's an acronym. uh, Because when you work in the diocese, 
You have to. Oh have wait, act- what? No, you don't. I'm just talking about <laughs> season. <laughs> yeah. I'm- <laughs> the new evangelization. Evangelization. You hear that, Sean Ader? New evangelization. <laughs> so, Brian, can I ask you a question? Can I pepper you with questions? I'm sure. gonna pepper you. Okay, I'm short answers. Tight swizzle. Short answers. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. <sighs> this is like a quiz. This is a quiz. A pop, pop quiz, hot shot. I was just gonna say that you interrupted. Yeah, that's why we're best friends. That's why we're best friends. I want to kiss you on the yeah. mouth. Never mind. Um, the bench shall pass. The bench shall pass. The bench shall before God. He's before God. Deals. We've been doing that for literally 15 years, and in no way is that disappointing. No, uh, it's, it's. I love it. it I'm like they named the dog in Diana. My my so, heart is beating very fast right now. <laughs> Your heart is full. Yeah. Your heart is my heart is very full. Um, okay, I just want to say a couple things. Number one, mm-hmm. Luke, I'm going to break your heart. Uh, I've never seen Ghostbusters one. Um, <gasps> what the fuck? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't edit that out. I won't. I've Are you seen serious? I've seen How Ghost- do we? Get, I had it in that project house. I know. I know. You I've never seen saw Ghost- it. I've seen Ghostbusters. You should be ashamed of yourself. I should. I should. I. I am Vigo. I've seen that a thousand times. <laughs> rule the earth. <laughs> Wife that. to you and mother to me. Wait. Sorry. I love Ghostbusters. Uh, Sorry. Right. So I've seen that a million times. Okay. So here's some questions for you. Yep. All right. All right. Um. <sighs> Is this Ghostbusters trivia? <laughs> Ghostbusters <laughs> trivia. Egon. Because no. I'll do that. Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Ergo. Now, um, if someone wanted to start out with St. Thomas Aquinas, getting to know him, mm-hmm. having a, a drink with him, what yep. book, what book, second, second book, uh, second, what, uh, second source, mm-hmm. what am I saying? What book am I saying? What, what would be the best book to recommend for someone that's not directly Aquinas, but an introduction to Aquinas, secondhand source. That's what yeah. I was Well, there's one sitting next to me here by Continue. Ralph McInerney. It's called A First Glance at St. Thomas Aquinas, a handbook for peeping Thomists. And it's basically just, it's a short introduction. He just has about, I don't know, 15, 16 chapters on some theme, you know, philosophy and science, uh, you know, the soul or whatever. And then he, at the end, he gives a nice, you know, short text about that particular theme from St. Thomas. So you get a nice introduction and you also get some of actual St. Thomas Aquinas, okay. right? And then so you would recommend that more than G.K. Chesterton's The Dumb Ox or Joseph Pieper's Guide to Thomas Aquinas? I, well, I know you said one. I was actually going to also, I, obviously I would definitely recommend those. I would also include Peter Kreef's Summa of the Summa. Oh, so Which good. is like, you know, just short snapshots of the the text from the summa you know i mean it's people that have never read saint thomas i mean it might seem overwhelming but the more you is you know he's like a fine wine right the more you read him the more you love him right there's that great line the from more norris. you the more you drink the better the he takes exactly <laughs> well there's that great line from norris clark you know that you know there's a couple different kinds of philosophers those that you know who seem obscure at first when you read them and then the more you read them they're actually very clear and then there's those that who seem very obscure at first, and then the more you read them, you know, the more obscure they are, right? And I think he's particularly talking about you know modern philosophy, but he's talking about um, Hegel. He's yeah. talking about Hegel, Heidegger, the Germans in particular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more you kind of digest St. <laughs> Thomas, I think you you not just pick up the content, but also, and I think this is key, which people might miss, you pick up his very method, his simplicity, mm. right, his clearness. 
the way in which he can get across his point in a very short paragraph. Never wastes a word. No, no, he doesn't. And I mean, um, so you asked, right, so I'm, I'm really violating my own um, recommendation, right? You asked me for a short answer and I've given you this long diatribe, which I know. This is catching foxes. We do it all the time. Yeah, I, yeah true. And it's so in this setting, it works well. But catching yeah. foxes, I, we do it long. That's our bump. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I have a question yeah. really quick. Um, I think we'd have a couple of listeners, at least that have reached out to me or whatever, that are kind of um, perhaps like not. Not really on the fence about God, but like they might not really be all in yet, or they might have curiosity about the Catholic faith or uh, being exposed to the two ideas that are part of, of the Catholic faith that they really haven't really been exposed to before. Those people who are kind of on, like on the fence outliers a little bit, but you know wouldn't wouldn't take a would not take a whole lot for, for them to kind of. Um, kind of, you know, really try to seek a, a real encounter with, yeah. with Christ. Mm-hmm. What are some, what are some great books out there that are a little bit more on the philosophy side that would be a good thing for them to dive into if they're like an amateur? Uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> Gomer probably has some good recommendations as well. I, I mean, I oh, think yeah, that's fine. anything by, I think anything by Peter Kreeft is, um, you know, just a gem. And I think again, because of the simplicity, the clearness, and obviously the depth of the content. Um, so yeah, I mean anything by Kraft. Um, I, I mean there's there's a number of good. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're particularly seeking like an intro to philosophy book or something about you know God. Um, Father uh, Robert Spitzer, who's the for- Jesuit, great Jesuit, former president at Gonzaga. Um, he just put out a, a book called New Proofs for the Existence of God, and it's 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 rooted in new. Um, advanced studies in quantum physics, in um, a couple different of the um, sciences. Yeah, the, the name I, I own two copies of that book. Nice. I don't know. I don't know how I got the buy it. Oh, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to send it to you. It's a physical book that costs money. When you, Luke, Luke, when you send me Roman triptych I by knew you Pope were John Paul II, I'll send you this. <laughs> I had every intention to get you that book. I really Six did. Six years ago, Luke. <laughs> Six years ago for my no, birthday. No, but it was more like 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago for my birthday. Good point. Secret um, Santa. <laughs> White <laughs> elephant. Someone's going to steal it from me. Um, but no, that book is called, the, the full title is uh, New Proofs for the Existence of God from Contemporary Physics and yes, Philosophy. Right, physics. Yeah, that's right. And it. I'll tell you what. Okay, so I love, 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 love science, physics, quantum mechanics, general relativity, you know, like yeah. all of this stuff. I don't understand any of it, but I watch hours of YouTube videos about it. I know, it. I do too. Oh, gosh. Look at it. yet another thing we have in common. Date? Um, we should, <laughs> date night 2016. Um, but, <laughs> uh, dude, it's so, uh, so fascinating that Father Robert Spitzer is trained in quantum mechanics. Like yeah. I tell people all the time, because these teen, the teenagers that I, I meet in conferences and stuff, yeah. Um, I did a talk called uh, God is Real, and I just said to them, I go, listen, I can't prove the existence of God to you in a 17-minute talk. I said, but what I'm going to say to you is, you know, 35 craters on the moon are named after Jesuit priests Yeah. Oh, yeah. because we're not afraid of science. Father right. Robert Spitzer was the head of the physics department, then became the president of Gonzaga, and then yeah. – you know, now he has the Magis Center, uh, which produces yeah. YouTube videos. I said they talk about quantum mechanics, string theory, 
oscillating universe, like blah, blah, blah. And I threw out yeah. all these like crazy terms. And I go, if, if you're a nerd where those words make sense to you, mm-hmm. then do not give up your faith. There is a devout yeah. Catholic priest and tons of philosophers and scientists and physicists and all this stuff behind this yeah. that still have their faith and reconcile it with string theory or, you know, whatever. Right. Well, and, and, you know, Tom, there's a great book Tom, by Tom Woods called How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization. Okay, he's let's a, take a break. Let's take a break. Sure. What do you think of Tom Woods? Uh, I, I met him very briefly at a um, – uh, 2013, I went with a friend of mine. January 2013, uh, there was a – it was a von Mises Institute conference. You went to a von Mises Institute I conference? I did because my, my – um, it was – in Houston? Some, yeah, it was at some hotel in Houston. No, the, I know. Ec- the economics group? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So, yeah. okay, 2013? Mm-hmm. January so 2013. Yeah, was Ron Paul one of the guest speakers? Ron Paul was the keynote speaker. The yeah. keynote speaker. So me and you were literally at the same conference. That's so bizarre. I, I, you know, I be, Yeah, that's so bizarre. I used to be incredibly into the – I mean, I, I'm a, I used to donate to them every year. Um. I, I mean, I'm a Ron Paulian. I'm a hardcore Ron Paulian. Sure, I was yeah. one of those guys that's like, I, I'm sorry, honey, we can't go to dinner right now. I got to check all the Ron Paul blogs again today. You know? So I like I, that you said again. No, <laughs> absolutely. I'm not kidding. But um, <laughs> he's really not. No, I, I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt but it. Tom Woods is, he's a guy that he's very controversial because yeah. he advocates that essentially that the Catholic Church doesn't know what it's talking about when it bases its moral claims on fallacious uh economic theory yeah right and right. then you know and his book um was catholic social teaching and economics or something like yeah, that yeah and i read that cover to cover when i first got introduced to distributism or yeah. to uh, libertarianism and distributism yeah. and all that stuff mm-hmm. like i and i became a hardcore libertarian <laughs> he was the first youtube channel that i subscribed to wow i i never thought yeah, I uh, I don't I don't think you know if you harken back to our interview with JD Flynn, he makes one really uh, well. He made a lot of awesome comments, but one profound statement where he says, "We are not liberals or libertarians. We believe the law does instruct, so we don't just yield it to the culture or the individual." Right. And to me, that's a refutation from St. Thomas Aquinas of libertarianism. Yeah, you know, um, Gomer, you may not like it, but you might at the same time. Uh, let, let me, I'll tell you what that is in a moment. But yeah, the, the, the thing about Tom Woods, I, I haven't really read anything enough of him from you know, his economic perspective. Um, I've read a couple articles that he's written, particularly after papal statements on economics. And he's you know, consistently basically just concluded that you know, the church uh, doesn't know what it's talking about in this regard. Right. Um, well, his, his statement is – that economics is a sphere unto itself, a science right. unto itself, right. and the church keeps wanting to make it a subcategory of morality yes. rather than acknowledging it as a legitimate social science. Right. And every time the church says things like, we legislate for the economy for man and not man for the economy, mm-hmm. it's like we well, don't understand the, first, the basis of Austrian economics, which puts well, – has a Thomistic understanding, you know, right. blah, blah. So right. Anyway. Well, and, but I mean – even in spite of that, his book, um, How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization, is excellent. Um, and I, I know that he is a very controversial figure. And uh, so I, I think, though, that I, I, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't even think he talks about economics at all. No, he does. No. Book, if I'm no. correct. 
But, you know, you mentioned the 35 craters on the moon, you know, discovery of the, you know, the rate at which objects fall to the ground, the 9.8 meters per second squared, right? All these great scientific facts that we take for granted as founded by mostly Jesuits, but, you know, the Catholic Church, um, you know, really, Jesuits like Donald Trump. Continue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would highly recommend that, that particular book of, of Tom Woods. There's actually a guy up at the university of Delaware who works with father Spitzer named Stephen Barr. He's a physicist. Um, he actually wrote, and I've seen the book, it's called physics for kids. It's like a, it's like a 30 page little book. I mean, I'm guessing you use it, you know, people have used it in their classrooms or for homeschooling or whatnot, but I read through it and I was like, Oh man, this is, this is brilliant. Cause it's very simple. I mean, they're complex terms, but it's very simple and, easy to understand for, you know, young kids. So there's I'll lots honest, of good that's resources. That's probably where I should start. You should. I didn't want to say anything, Luke. I'm glad. No, you it's fine. No, um, no offense taken. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot thought. of really good resources out there. Um, and I think if you just find the right people that, you know, can kind of yeah. get you connected. Um, so <clears throat> I, I have no that. problem like emailing people. Like I'm, People tell me like they're afraid to, you know, email so and so. Like I have no problem dropping emails and to, you know, very popular, well known public figures, you know, like a Robert Spitzer say, Hey, can I ask you a quick question about X, Y, or Z? And you know, I'm like, I'm going oh. to you not to bother you or bug you, but I, I find that you're the, you know, really kind of like the best authority on this. So I want the truth. So I'm gonna hunt you down via email. That's awesome. You know? I am yeah. totally do you have a good relationship with your professors? Yes, yes. I have the shittiest relationship. Like, I'm just so – I, I feel Why, like – Why? Because you ask a lot of questions and they don't – No, they, I never do anything ever and then I hide. And I never – I never <laughs> – like, the closest relationship – so I, I was a Dr. Hahn, Dr. Scott Hahn, like, obsessed fanboy before I became a um, – That doesn't even begin to describe it. That right? doesn't. Like, it doesn't. Was, it really like, doesn't. Was it creepy fanboy? I mean, only, oh, only, yeah. oh, Luke, come on, only as a joke, <laughs> only as a joke. Because the joke wasn't that far from the truth. <laughs> Just because <laughs> when I have you have to censor up... us from saying those jokes in front of Scott Hunt's son, you know there's a reason why you're doing and that. And you still there. did it anyway. Anywho, moving along. Thank you, Luke. Um, just because I have a locket of his hair doesn't sure, mean... show notes for this will be fantastic i know Mark. so the funny thing is <laughs> yeah where, so the, where the hell were we here's my question yeah. uh saint thomas aquinas good guy fat guy mm-hmm. love the guy what was his view of islam in the 1200s so he lived from 1225 to 12 uh almost 1275 1275 right yeah he died yeah, yeah 50 years old yeah. What was his view of Islam at the time? Like, there's so much like crazy ass, weird, fear mongering, you know, whatever today. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just let's just talk about Aquinas's view. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's two things to say. Um, the first, I'll give a sort of a positive appraisal um, from Saint Thomas on Islam. Um, and it's that his early, his first major work in metaphysics um, called On Being and Essence, um, his primary source for that was Avicenna, the very well-known Islamic um, philosopher and, and physician, who actually a, a very renowned physician. Basically, 
St. Thomas, actually, a lot of his reading and interpretation of Aristotle comes in and through um, Avicenna, particularly in the area of the, the division of the sciences and how we attain knowledge. Um, you know, both Aquinas and Avicenna wrote great commentaries on Aristotle's posterior analytics, which is, you know, what is a science? How do we attain knowledge? And, and by science, I mean not specific sciences, but just science in general in terms of how we attain knowledge going from principles to conclusions, right? A science is moving from something that's previously known to something that we don't know, right? That's what knowledge ultimately is. So he, uh, he relies very heavily on Avicenna in a very real way for understanding and interpreting Aristotle. And the interesting thing is that you would think because of that, that the Islamic world of philosophy and scholarship would just be all over that. But in fact, the only people that are doing work on this relationship between Aquinas and Avicenna are Catholics. And the, the primary hub, the, it's funny that you asked this question because the primary location for this is actually the University of St. Thomas here in Houston. Uh, one of my professors, Dr. Ed Hauser, is uh, you know a world-renowned figure, on, uh, a scholar on Avicenna and the uh, Arabic sources for the medieval Christian philosophy. So again, I mean, it's really only Catholics that are, interestingly enough, kind of drawing out that and, and sort of demonstrating that relationship and how they rely and how Aquinas relies on Avicenna. Now, that's the positive appraisal. Um, Aquinas's overall judgment, I think, in perspective comes from the Summa Contra Gentilis, where he, he basically says that Muhammad was fundamentally a, a warmonger and that his doctrine that he teaches and preaches was not uh, trying to reach the intellects or the reason of his listeners, but their emotions. And so ultimately he was just trying to stir up their emotions and what ends up happening is their passions rule them over their, their intellect, right? So they're irrational. And he also says that Islamic doctrine does not really encounter or come to grips with philosophy and particularly with reason and intelligence and how science relates to, you know, the Islamic understanding of revelation. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, but they're very, very few. Avicenna, Averroes, um, to name probably the two most prominent medieval Islamic philosophers. But um, again, he's primarily going to critique Islam as lacking authority. So he kind of like John Henry Newman. I mean, Newman doesn't talk about Islam, but he says that Protestantism's main problem is the lack of authority. And, and so Aquinas says too, that Islam lacks that central authority like the church has, and that it's, it's not uh, connected to reason or philosophy or science or the particular sciences in general. And faith, which interestingly enough connects to Benedict's address in Regensburg, Faith is something that can, in fact, contradict what we know is true from natural reason and what we know from good natural moral principles, right? That, uh, you know, God could ultimately command you to do something that's good, um, you know, like something would be good one day and then the next day that very thing could be evil or, or vice versa, right? And um, Benedict even quotes 
uh, a 13th century is Islamic philosopher or scholar uh, who says that, you know, God is so, is so powerful, so omniscient that he could command you to actually not worship him. Right. But that would be good because God command Allah commanded it. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think his overall judgment and assessment of Islam is that it lacks logos. It lacks a connection to, reason, philosophy, and it's ultimately not about truth, um, which I think is very a very fascinating perspective that um, I think he was even aware of the fact that um, the, the answer to the question, why do you hold this faith or this Islamic faith, it would not have been common for someone to say because it's true. I mean, again, Aquinas is already aware of this, and I think that still carries on today as well. Um, so anyway, I wanted to give a positive appraisal of Islam and not just be overly critical, but also kind of let you see the, the sort of the full assessment that St. Thomas gives. That's really good. That's actually, so it is super late, so I got to go. But I would love to have you on here again, especially talk yeah. more about like Islam and stuff. Yeah. This has been really cool. No, Thank this, you, Brian. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. Hey, I did. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. No. The best part is we had this. Uh, it took me about 30 minutes to get the damn Skype thing working. But we did this after two hours of our first community group meeting, my yeah. small group ministry. Yeah, it was awesome. It was Wasn't amazing. it? Yeah. Wasn't it was so... the most important part the video that we watched? Uh, it really <laughs> was. was coming. Well, and that you were sitting up front and we were all just able to look <laughs> at you. Trust me, I've been at plenty of parties where Gomer's tried to turn on a video of him and everyone just stop and watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that is really the definition of a party, if there's a video of Gomer. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Gomer. I don't. I don't either, yeah, do. but I just wanted to say that. What yeah, What are you talking about, Luke? Uh, that one time we had a whole bunch of people over and you like stopped everyone to watch the tape of you doing the um, MOL limp sync. Yeah, but that was funny as hell. Come on, I made fun of Father Michael Scanlon. No one does that and, and lives. <laughs> exactly. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, it was. So, all right. Um, dude, this has been awesome. Seriously, we, we really do um, appreciate having you on here, man. Oh, so, yeah, no, thank you. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I hate to stop, but I, oh, shit, there goes the mic. <laughs> um, I have to go to bed. I have to be up at 530. Right. And it's, almost, it's almost 1 o'clock my time. So, I'll be that's embarrassing. Soon. Uh, thank you all. Oh, for, oh, sorry. Sorry, I cut you off. I'm so sorry, sir. Please don't hit me. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this episode of Catching Foxes. Catching Foxes is a podcast that represents the intersection of faith and culture. It is brought to you by Warmly <laughs> and Luke Carey. <laughs> Luke Carey, who works at the Archdiocese of since Office of the New Evangelization. Uh, we're on Facebook, Catching Foxes Podcast. Please, if you guys can't... Uh, Give us a review and a rating on iTunes. Help spread the word about the show. We would greatly appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter. At C Fox's Podcast. Oh, at C Fox's Podcast. Mm-hmm.